Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. As has become tradition here at the OE Podcast, November is a time to look at a couple Thanksgiving-themed radio shows. You know, things get pretty busy for Lydia and me with the family, uh, work, and everything else. Uh, Not to mention that Lydia this month is off in South America participating in the Race the Planet Patagonia. Yeah, I know, right? Anyway, I think I have some fun shows for you this time around. But before we get into them, let me just do the usual uh, housekeeping. First of all, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Hope you check out some of our other shows and stick around for some things we have coming up. Something really fun coming in December. No spoilers, but Liddy and I had a blast putting something together for next month, and I think you're going to enjoy it. I want to remind everyone that you can listen to the show by subscribing to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play. And please, I encourage you to uh, rate and review us at any of those outlets. If you are a Facebook member, we do have a group that you can join. Just go to facebook.com slash group slash Orphan Entertainment and join us there. And then uh, if you have any feedback or any comments, you can email those to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. You can type it out or send us an MP3. We'd be glad to hear from you. Last thing, I just want to mention the YouTube channel. If you're not already a subscriber, I would encourage you to subscribe there. And that way you'll be uh, right up on things whenever I post a movie that we're going to be covering here on Orphan Entertainment. Now let's go ahead and listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when I return, I'll introduce the shows you'll hear today. Another five-minute mystery. She was just found murdered in her tent. Now let's get this straight. Cause of death, strangulation. Grease paint smears on her throat and several small fresh scratches on the palms of her hands. Costume also grease smeared. Well, what do you say, Sheriff? We can't keep the crowd waiting in the big top all day. As company manager, what do you think? It's kind of upset your show, doesn't it? Why don't you talk to the voodoo doctor? He was the last one with her. Might be a good idea. Which one's he? Well, he's right over there, Sheriff, the one in all the pain. Ah, so you're the voodoo doctor. Yes, sir, I am. What's your name? Yeah, what do I call you besides voodoo doctor? Just call me Neil. Urban here tells me that you might be able to throw some light on the murder of Miss Claire. Urban, eh? I thought so. Why, you... Eh, no rough stuff here. Now talk, Neil. Hey, don't feel like it. Well, Urban, suppose you tell me what you know. Well, Sheriff, just before the show started, I saw the voodoo doctor sneak away from Dottie's tent. Dressed just as he is in costume. Yeah, grease from head to foot. I waited until he passed and then looked into Dottie's tent. She was dead. 
And you think that Neil, the voodoo doctor... Kill Dottie? I'm sure of it. I heard him threaten her. That's a lie. Dottie asked me to come to her tent. But she was dead when I got there. Did you touch anything? Not a thing. I'm not so crazy as to leave fingerprints on somebody else's dirty work. Does everyone in the show use the same grease paint that you have on, Neil? No. I'm the only one. As a voodoo, I have to paint up like this. Well, if you and Urban were the only humans to be near the body before she was murdered... And he's your man, Sheriff. I don't think so, Urban. I think you're in for a little surprise. You see, I'm holding you for the murder of Dottie Clare. Why did the sheriff arrest Urban, the show's manager, for the murder of his aerialist? In a moment, we'll hear, but first... Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the geek revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Listen to Weeby Geeks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or online at WeebyGeeks.net. Weeby Geeks, your voice for the Geek Revolution. Want to know more? And now, back to our story. You're crazy, Sheriff. You ain't got one piece of evidence against me. Haven't I, though? Listen, you claim it was Neil that came out of the tent after Dottie Clare was murdered. Neil's torso and his face and hands are covered with grease paint. It's all over the dead girl's costume, too, ain't it? What more could you want? Just something you overlooked, Urban. Anyone struggling with him would have grease paint all over his own hands, too. But the only marks on Dottie's hands were scratches. This is proof enough that Dottie Clare did not struggle with your voodoo man, as you said. And consequently, he couldn't have strangled her. Now, Urban, looks like you slipped up that time. And that slip is going to cost you your life. Let's start out with the comedic exploits of the one and only Jack Benny. I'm pretty sure we've had one or two of his shows on before, so if you're a regular listener, you have an idea of what to expect. This show in particular is from 1930, or this show in particular from 1939 is a lot of fun due to the year it was produced. A couple of times during the show, you'll hear the characters mention two Thanksgivings. I had to go and uh, look this up. So it turns out, until Congress passed legislation declaring the holiday to always be the third Thursday of November, it was at the discretion of the president to declare which day Thanksgiving would fall on. Typically, that would be the last Thursday of the month. In 1933, Franklin Roosevelt was president, and that year there was five Thursdays in November, meaning the last Thursday was the 30th. Since, statistically, people didn't start their Christmas shopping until after Thanksgiving, many business owners lobbied the president to move it up a week. Roosevelt ignored their requests, and it was indeed on the 30th. Roll around to 1939, and once again, five Thursdays in November. Once again, business owners asked for the change. This time, Roosevelt agreed and officially declared Thanksgiving to be on the 23rd. Unfortunately, this was not as simple as it sounds. 
Many Americans scoffed at the idea of this break in tradition. Calendar makers were particularly miffed as they created and printed their product in advance, so their calendars were out of date almost immediately. Many schools had scheduled vacation days and their annual Thanksgiving Day football games before they'd learned of the change. As opposition grew, many states went against the presidential decree and declared the 30th as the proper holiday. So states all over the country celebrated the day on different weeks. Franklin Roosevelt observed Thanksgiving on the second to last Thursday of November for two more years. But because of the outrage, Congress stepped in to settle it once and for all. And finally, as I said, in 1941, they passed the law that set the holiday firmly on the fourth Thursday of November. The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens a program with It's a Whole New Thing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the age of research. Well, we've been doing a little research on the subject of Jell-O. Well, we found out that the best days of the week to serve Jell-O are Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Which is just another way of saying that Jell-O is always, anytime and every time, a perfectly swell dessert. For Jell-O brings you that full, extra-rich flavor. A flavor as fresh and sunny as the real ripe fruit itself. And all six of Jell-O's famous flavors has the same rich goodness. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. A grand, satisfying flavor that has made Jell-O America's favorite gelatin dessert. And you like Jell-O's gay, appetizing appearance, too. It's shimmering, jewel-like colors that make it look so inviting. So enjoy some tomorrow. Just be sure to get genuine Jell-O and don't accept any substitute. Look for those big red letters on the box. They smell Jell-O. It's a whole new thing played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, once again we bring you our master of ceremonies. That bubbling personality, that effervescent comedian, that fizz, Jack Benny. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, hello again. This is Jack Benny, the carbonated kid, talking. And, Don, I like that introduction. It fits me to a T. I am bubbling and effervescent. The fizz you can have back. <laughs> well, Jack, let me explain. When I called you a fizz, it was really a compliment. I meant you were physical. Mm-hmm. You know, a fizz for short. I understand, Don, perfectly. In other words, if you called me a mug, you really mean I was magnificent. Is that it? Exactly. Well, Don, if you think I fell for that, you're a fathead and that short for your whole body. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Don, uh, let's not get into a routine because uh, I know how you appreciate a good story. And I heard a gag a few minutes ago that will positively put every one of your tins in motion. Uh, oh, it's a honey. It's a good one, huh? Well, Virgil, the sound man, told it to me, and you know what a clown he is. Get this, Don. <laughs> Don, I... 
John, I haven't even told you the story yet. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Is it the one about the nearsighted old maid that buried the midget? No, heavens, no, John. Heavens, not that one. Uh, this is a brand new story. Get this. There was a fellow walking down the street, and he was leading a pink alligator on a leash. When all of a sudden, it started to act up and snap at him. Uh-huh. So the guy got annoyed, turned around to this pink alligator, and said, You better behave yourself, or I'll take a bromo seltzer, and that'll be the end of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, isn't that terrific, John? Oh, it sure is. That Virgil has a great sense of humor. Yes, see, that was a funny story, Mr. Benny. Oh, Dennis, I didn't see it. Did you like it? Yeah. But there's one thing that puzzles me. What? If the man was walking down the street, where did he get the bromo seltzer? Well, I don't know. He probably had a box of it in his pocket. Oh. Then I guess he had a glass of water in his other pocket. Yes, Dennis, and a banjo on his knee. <laughs> now, don't worry about it. Say, you're here kind of early tonight, uh, Dennis. Where's your mother? She's across the street in the bowling alley. In the bowling alley? Well, with her legs, she better watch out. <laughs> Anyway, Dennis, I'm glad you're here on time tonight, and I'll try and make a habit of it. <laughs> you know, Jack, I can't get over that story you told me. It's silly, but I get a great kick out of it. Isn't it ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. What's so funny? Mary, I must tell you. Did you hear the story about the fellow that was walking down the street eating a pink alligator on a leash? Is that the one where the man said, I'll take a bro myself and that'll be the end of you? Yes. No, tell it to me. Well, <laughs> this guy was... Wait, you just told me the answer. I thought you said you never heard it. Oh, stop, Jack. That's one of the oldest jokes in the world. Mary, jokes happen to be my business. And if that was the oldest joke in the world, I'd be the first one to know it. Should I let him have it, folks? <laughs> never mind. Do me a favor, will you, Mary? Go out and come back in again. Well, gee, Jack, as long as you're telling jokes, why don't you tell a good one? I heard a gag last night that was terrific. Oh, you did, eh? Yeah. A man walked into the house and said to his wife, it's raining cats and dogs outside. Uh-huh. And she said, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I just, just stepped, stepped in, in a poodle. poodle. <laughs> I know where you heard that, Mary, at the Wiltshire Bowl. Phil Harris has been husking that for three years. <laughs> That's his theme, Joe. You know, Don, Phil's idea of humor is really pitiful. Oh, I don't know about that, Jack. I was at the bowl one night, and the people screamed at him. Sure they scream at him. Every time he finishes a gag, he has a waiter throw a custard pie in his face. <laughs> That's why. I didn't see anybody do that. Oh, well, you must have been their bucket of water night. <laughs> That's his idea of changing material. Well, I'll say one thing about Phil. He sure attracts the young collegiate crowd. All the college boys go there. They have to go there, Mary. That's part of their initiation. <laughs> Before they can join a fraternity, they have to either listen to Harris or sleep all night in a graveyard. In a graveyard? Yes, and you'll be surprised at the number of kids around here that aren't afraid of ghosts. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, Jack, Phil sure believes in that college spirit. Look at that sign on the bass drum. Oh, yeah. Phil Harris and his collegians. Look, he spelled collegians with one L. Well, he spelled Phil with two, so it's all even. You know, Mary, sometimes I think that Phil... Jiggers, here he comes now. Don't jiggers me. Now, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. What's going on? Well, to tell the truth, Phil, for the last five minutes, we've been talking about you. Well, a little build-up ain't never hurt nobody. No, Phil, and never done you no good, either. <laughs> Your grammar's worse than Abe Lyman's, and he never got beyond block. <laughs> Well, who cares about grammar? I got other things to worry about. Oh, I can imagine. Say, Phil, uh, I noticed that new sign you got on the bass drum. 
What happened to that corny painting you used to have there? Corny? Yeah, you know, the one with the yellow moon and the green river and the purple trees. Remember that one, Mary? Yeah, he used to call it Gypsy Doodle by Rembrandt. That's the one. Whatever happened to that painting, Phil? I sold it to the Metropolitan Museum in New York. You mean the Museum of Fine Art? I don't know what they got there, but that's the joint that bought it. <laughs> Phil, are you crazy? Crazy nothing. Someday that picture will be hanging in Paris, right next to the Mona Lulu. <laughs> I'm not going to even bother to correct that. <laughs> How do you like that, Mary? The most famous painting of a woman in the world, and Phil doesn't even know her name. If she were alive, he'd know her name and phone number. <laughs> and her address and what she's doing on Friday night. <laughs> well, I got myself on a detour for no reason at all. And besides... Hey, Jack, why don't you tell Phil that story the sound man told you? He'll get a kick out of it. Oh, he wouldn't even get it. Come on, Jackson, what is it? Let's hear it. All right, Phil. Do you know the one about the fellow who was walking down the street and his pink alligator snapped at him? No, it. I'm the guy that drank the bromo. <laughs> there you are, fellas. He's always got a brilliant comeback, even if he has to make a bum out of himself. <laughs> oh, Dennis. Yes, please? Uh, how about a... How about a song before we get involved again? Okay, Mr. Benny. I'm going to sing an old favorite by Stephen Foster called Jeannie with the Light Brown Hair. Oh, that's well, Dennis. I, I love those old songs. Old songs, old gags. What this program needs is glands. <laughs> You just attend to your own little knitting. I'll handle the show. Sing, Dennis. The guy that drank the bromo. I dream of Jeannie with a light brown hair Born like a
the light from hell, floating like a vapor on the brown hair sung by Dennis Day. And Dennis, those old songs always do something to me. I love them. Me too. Genie with the light brown hair. What a grand title. You know, Dennis, uh, I used to have light brown hair and hair. Why, Jack, from the pictures I've seen of you, I thought you had black hair. No, Don, it was brown. Uh, sort of a russet brown. You know, just like the leaves in autumn. Well, rake them up and let's get on with the show. <laughs> Mary, I wish you'd stop with those interruptions. <laughs> anyway, Dennis, uh, Dennis, I noticed another thing. Your singing seems to improve every week. You're gaining poise and confidence. Well, thanks, Mr. Benny. Just think, this is your seventh week on my program. Seven weeks? Gee. Yes, sir. Am I going to get paid pretty soon? <laughs> pretty soon, Dennis. And now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are going to... Hey, Jackson, why don't you pay the kid? Bill, I intend to pay him. I'm merely holding his salary until he's a little older. I'm teaching Dennis how to save money. Well, he's learning from the top man. Thanks, Miss Livingston. And if I were you, I wouldn't say another word unless you rub it up on the Lum and Abner program. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight we are going oh, to... Oh, here you are, Dennis. Did you sing your song yet? Yes, Mother. Well, uh, good evening, Mrs. Day. Good evening. Hmm. Oh, Mother, you should have been here a few minutes ago. Mr. Benny told the funniest joke. It was rather good. Tell it to her, Dennis. Well, Mr. Benny was walking down the street leading a pink alligator. Oh, dude, eh? <laughs> dude, it wasn't me, Mrs. Day. Dennis got the story all wrong. I never touch a drop of liquor. Then why have you got that red nose? Because I'm a comedian. What do you think? <laughs> My tie lights up, too. This story, Mrs. Day, is about a man who takes a bromo seltzer and gets rid of a pink alligator. What's funny about that? Nothing. It's very sad. I'm crying like anything. <laughs> oh, what a dame. What's that? I said, oh, what a game. I saw UCLA play Santa Clara yesterday. <laughs> it was thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, if you will please forgive my outburst, <laughs> as I started to announce, tonight we are going to offer an original little playlet all about Thanksgiving, written especially for the occasion by Mary Livingston. Uh, Mary, let me have it, will you? Oh, Jack, I forgot to tell you. What? I changed my mind about a Thanksgiving play, and I wrote a poem instead. A poem? Hey, Mary, you mean to say we're not going to do a Thanksgiving play? No. Gee, and I was all set to be one of them pilgrims. Oh, fine. You'd make a great pilgrim, Phil. Well, I would. Listen, buddy, my ancestors came over on the Mayflower. Oh, did it dock in Dixie? <laughs> I thought your family always lived in Tennessee. Not originally. You see, we migrated from Massachusetts. 
Migratated? You don't by any chance mean you migrated. All right, we move. Forget it. Migratated. You hear that, Mary? Yeah, he put in an extra syllable in it. You're not paluling. Ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of the mood, let me say a few words about Jalello. Jalello? It is economical, easy to make, and comes in six delicious flavors. So look for the big red letters on the barrack. Thanks, Don. You surveyed the day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we have no Thanksgiving play... Mary Livingston's going to read a Thanksgiving poem. Oh, no. Nothing doing. Oh, gee, it's swell, Jack. I don't care. You're not going to read it. Jack, Benny, you let me read this poem or I won't buy my Christmas card from you this year. A lot I make on the ones you get. You don't even have your name printed on them. Now, go ahead with your poem. Okay. What's the title of it? The title is Thanksgiving. You're a little mixed up, aren't you, kid? (laughs) Well, that fits. Go ahead. Oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving. You are with us twice this year. With your pumpkin pie and dressing, and your turkey front and rear. That's the part I always get. <laughs> the pilgrims planned in days of yore that you'd come once, not anymore. But now you are a double feature, and we don't know what day to greet you. Greet you? That's what I said, you gorgeous creature. Now, don't be funny. Go ahead with the poem. Suppose we had two everything, two New Year's Eves to laugh and sing, two Christmases, two Labor Days. And two Jack Bennies with two toupees. Mary, you're too, too pressing. Are you through? No, but I'm coming into the stretch. Oh. So Thanksgiving, I don't mind. Yeah. If you're a week before or a week behind. Mm. <laughs> What's the difference? What the heck? The turkey's the guy that gets it in the neck. The end. Very good. Mary, that was silly, but you came through with flying colors. And now, Phil, how about a number to kind of break things up here? Okay, Jackson, what do you want us to play? Anything special? Well? You name it, and we'll play it. All right, how about that number you rehearsed all morning? You know, the only one you can possibly play. Oh, okay. Hit it, boys. He asked for requests yet. Hold it a minute, Phil. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? Are you a little mixed up on account of the two Thanksgivings this year? Yes, I am. Why? I was in a fog when we only had one. Goodbye. (laughs) He's not kidding, folks. He's got his shoes on backwards. Play, Phil.
Cherry Berry Bean, a swing version of an old favorite played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, fellas... Hey, before... what's the matter? Aren't you going to complain about the number we just played? No, Phil, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it, didn't you, Mary? Yeah, it was swell. Did you like it, Don? I thought it was okay. How'd you like it, Jack? Oh, it was great. How'd you like Phil's number, Mary? Well, I thought it was a little loud in spots, didn't you, Don? Yes, it seemed a little off here and there. What did you think of it, Jack? I thought it was lousy. <laughs> And now, fellas... Hey, what is this, a rib? Yes, Phil, we were just kidding. I thought your number sounded exceptionally good. Didn't you, Mary? Feel me out. I'm tired. <laughs> now, fellas, as I started to say a little while ago, and before I forget it, uh, Thursday being Thanksgiving, I want all of you to come over to my house for a real old-fashioned turkey dinner. How about it? Oh, that's well, great, Jack. Well, well, that and Dennis, uh, Dennis, this invitation goes for you also. His mother, too? Yes, Mrs. Day, my party wouldn't be complete without you. You don't sound very sincere about it. Well, what do you want me to do, send you a mash note? <laughs> Glad to have you. The more, the merrier. Good heavens. Say, Jack, is this party going to be like the one you gave last Thanksgiving? What do you mean? I mean, is the turkey going to be like a lamb? Don't worry about that, Mary. This is going to be a real dinner. I've got the biggest, fattest, juiciest turkey you ever saw. Where'd you run over it? <laughs> I didn't run over it. It's a live turkey. I got it in my garage right now. It's roosting on my Maxwell. That's, that's all that car needs. <laughs> now, you wait till you see that bird. I better weigh 65 pounds. 65 pounds? Why, Jack, you must be mistaken about that. Oh, no, I'm not, Don. I had it on the scale. It's an enormous thing. 65 pounds? Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Wait till next Thursday. You'll see for yourself. It's going to be a swell party. How many people are you expecting, Jack? Well, there'll be our gang, and then I invited Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, Bob Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck, Tyrone Power and Annabella. Oh, Jack, you always ask them to every party you give, and they never show up. Well? Why don't you stop inviting them? I can't stop now. They'll think I'm mad at them. <laughs> you know how it is. How can they be mad at you when they don't even know them? I don't even know them. Listen, Phil, I know every one of those stars personally. Sure, Jack tells them their Christmas cards. Mary, will you stop harping on that? The only reason you ever got cards from me is because I happen to have some left over. Every year. Oh, quiet. Now, don't forget, fellas, Thursday night at my house. Oh, we're going to Jack. Boy, we're going to have a big turkey and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes. And, Don, guess what kind of jello we're going to have for dessert? Strawberry? No. Raspberry? No. Cherry? No. Orange? No. Lemon? No. Give up? Yes. Lie. <laughs> you see, Don, you almost had it. There's a kindergarten commercial if I ever heard one. Never mind, that's what we're going to have. Now look, kids, if I don't see you again before Thanksgiving, be sure and be at my house by 7 o'clock sharp. And don't eat a big lunch so you'll uh, really enjoy the turkey. I'll take it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Penny, this is Rochester. All right, what do you want? Well, boss, I just heard you talking about a big Thanksgiving party Thursday night. That's my night off. I'm sorry, Rochester, but you'll have to work. You can take a day off some other time. I can get my twin brother to take my place. I don't want your twin brother. Well, he looks just like me. I don't care if he did. I want you to be at my house on Thursday night. How about me and Spirit and my brother in person? <laughs> Rochester, don't try any tricks. I can tell the difference between you and your twin brother. That morning gal can. (laughs) 
Never mind. Now, look, Rochester, I want you to get that turkey up to 70 pounds by Thanksgiving to go out in the garage and feed it. I'm working on a Christmas card. They can wait. <laughs> now, go out in the garage and feed the turkey. Okay. Oh, say, boss, I meant to ask you something about that bird. Are you sure it's a turkey? <laughs> what do you mean, am I sure it's a turkey? Well, I went out in the garage a few minutes ago and she laid an egg as big as a cantaloupe. <laughs> As big as a cantaloupe? What are you talking about? Not only that, but every time I go in there, she sticks her head in a bucket of sand. <laughs> what? Boss, you bought an ostrich. I bought an ostrich? That's right. She just ate the headlights off your car. The headlights? How do you know? She had two Adam's apples, and they were going down fast. <laughs> It's all your fault, Rochester. You were with me when I went shopping for a turkey. Why did you let me buy an ostrich? I told you it was a pretty big bird for the money, but you know you. (laughs) Well, I guess there's nothing we can do about it now. Isn't that awful? I got a polar bear in the guest room and an ostrich in the garage. And mice in the pantry. Let's move out. Now, don't get panicky, Rochester. I'll be home in a few minutes. Meanwhile, call up the market and order a turkey. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. What? Have you changed your mind about using my twin brother Thursday night? No, I haven't. Well, I'll I'll figure out something. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Rochester! Rochester! Well, I'll be darned. What's the matter, Jack? Plenty. That big turkey I bought turned out to be an ostrich. Oh, boy. You're going to be lonesome on Thanksgiving. I am not. Now, Mary, don't worry. We're going to have a swell dinner. Play, Phil. I wonder if you can eat an ostrich. I don't know. This year, some folks are celebrating Thanksgiving on the 23rd of the month, others on the 30th. Well, either way, I'd like to offer a suggestion in regard to your holiday menu. For dinner, of course, there'll be plum pudding or pumpkin pie. But later on in the evening, when supper time comes, bring the day's feasting to a fitting close with a truly out-of-the-ordinary dessert. A shimmering dish of golden lemon jello. Now there's really a luscious-looking dessert, ladies and gentlemen. A grand treat full of the ripe, tingling flavor of juicy lemons fresh from the tree and glowing with the warm color of sunshine. And you can serve it in shapely molds, garnished with fruit, nuts, and maraschino cherries. Or it can be sliced into dainty cubes, tumbled into parfait glasses, and topped with snowy whipped cream. Either way, it adds up to a mighty slick dessert that will catch every eye and capture every taste. And that goes for all the rest of Jell-O's six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Jell-O, remember, is a light dessert. Just the thing to appeal after a heavy midday meal. And it's quick and easy to make with, and Mother will appreciate it. After working, uh, cooking a big Thanksgiving dinner, so order genuine Jello from your grocer tomorrow. The last 
last number of the seventh program in the current Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Now, don't forget, Mary, next Thursday night at my house for a real Thanksgiving dinner. Count me out, Jack. Now, wait a minute. I'm not going to serve that ostrich. I'm going to have a turkey. Oh, you are, eh? Yes. Well, if I find a headlight in the dressing, watch out. Oh, don't worry. Good night, folks, and a happy Thanksgiving. Tuesday night, the Aldrich family is on the air, starring Ezra Stone as Henry Aldrich, that lovable hard luck kid. Consult your local newspaper or radio guide for time and stations, and be sure to tune in on the Aldrich family next Tuesday night. Bluebirds in the Moonlight is from Gulliver's Travels. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Now, the second show I have is from a long-lived radio show called Casey Crime Photographer, starring Stats Cotsworth. This episode originally aired in 1947. The character of Casey started his life in pulp magazines before making the move to radio, novels, television, film, and even stage plays. Jack Flashgun Casey was a crime photographer for the newspaper The Morning Express, with the help of reporter Ann Williams, who in this episode is betrayed by Jan Minor. Uh, some listeners of a certain age will recognize her as Paul Malov's Madge from a series of popular television commercials. You're soaking in it. Casey solved crimes and recounted his stories to friends at the Blue Note, their favorite bar and jazz club, where the Archie Blyer Orchestra and the Teddy Wilson Trio often played. The Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation brings you Crime Photographer. think they'll ever put my statue in the Hall of Fame? What are you famous for, Ethelbert? For 27 straight years, I always got the same part of the turkey. <laughs> That's some kind of a record, ain't it? Well, because you consistently get it in the neck, that might make you notorious, but not really famous. Mm, no, no, Ethelbert. You know, you have to do something really big, you know, something important to deserve a famous name. Like what? Well, like Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tony Marvin. Every week at this time, the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, and its more than 10,000 employees bring you another adventure of Casey, crime photographer, ace cameraman who covers the crime news of a great city. Written by Alonzo Dean Cole, our adventure for tonight, After Turkey, The Bill. Seven o'clock in the evening, a medium-priced uptown restaurant known as Patrakis's Olympian. At a table for two, a flashily dressed young man pushes aside his empty plate and says to the pretty girl who sits opposite, Hey, that turkey wasn't half bad. <laughs> you didn't leave much of it. Neither did you. Shall I order dessert now? Uh-huh. Hey, waiter. Gus. Okay, kid. What do you want now, Joe? We're ready for the plum pudding now. Poo plum pudding. That's what you want, too, isn't it, Lottie? Yes, and coffee. Same here. Okay, Keith. I don't know why you won't let me do anything for you in a classy way, Lottie. I asked you out for a Thanksgiving spread, and you made me bring you to a cheap place like this. Joe, you can't afford to throw your money away. How do you know what I can afford? 
may not have as good a job as my cousin Bird yet. But that What's mean Bird I... got to do with He's it? He's got plenty to do with it. You didn't have to work today. You'd be out with him now instead of me, I know. Bird isn't working tonight, Joe. He came home before we left there. I could have had dinner with him if I'd wanted. Yeah. Oh, don't be like that, please. Why shouldn't I be? While I was in... While I was away, you and him became awful good friends. We were always friends, the three of us. We grew up on the same block. Yeah, but while I was away, moved into your old man's room and house so we could be closer friends. Oh, don't start that again tonight. We're out for a pleasant evening, and it has been pleasant so far. Please, Joe. All right. Comes out of dessert. Two plums of pudding. And coffee. You know, when you go out with me, Lottie, you're going to get class whether you think I can afford it or not. I'm going to take you to dance land. I'm going to buy you a whole roll of tickets. Best you'd get out of that tight wide fur as a soda in a movie. All right, that's all now, Gus. Bring me a check, will you? You said it, Joe. All right, Joe. Since you won't drop the subject, we'll talk about Bird. Well. He wants me to marry him. Figured that from that dirty double-crosser. He isn't a double-crosser. He knows I've been going with you since we were kids and I've always been crazy about you. And while I was taking that bum rap on the reformatory... You didn't he... take a bum rap, Joe. You asked for what you got. All right, so the cops had the goods on me. That gave Ferd no right it to... gave think... me a right to do a lot of thinking. Hmm. So you decided a sneaky yellow drip like my cousin is a better bet than me. Huh? I don't think Ferd is sneaky or yellow. Well, you don't, huh? No. And I don't think you're a criminal. Nice of you to say that. I'm not being nice. I'm saying what I believe. If you make me sure you've learned your lesson, I... Yeah. You won't have to worry about me liking Bert or, or anyone. There's never really been anybody but you, Joe. Only, only I've got to be sure. How do I make you sure, Lottie? Just show me and Dad that you're steady, that's all. And I've been showing you that since I came back. Didn't I get a job right away? Yes, Joe, but, but I don't see how you can afford those two new suits and that overcoat with what you're making. Oh. Oh, I get it. Bird can buy clothes or take you out, and it's okay, isn't it? He's never had trouble with a cop. But the minute I spend an extra buck, you and your old man figure I've glommed it somewhere. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Your old man especially. Hates my insides. He don't want you to have anything to do with me. If Dad hated you, he wouldn't let you stay at our rooming house. He rents rooms, and I pay for the one I rent. That's business. And to ease your mind about the extra dough I spent, Lottie, I'm a lucky guy with dice and a good pool player. I... Here's your check, kid. Thanks, Gus. Pay you so we can get out of here. We're going to dance land. We're... What? Joe? I haven't got my wallet. Oh, you've lost your money? I don't know. Maybe I left it home. Well, phone Dad. He'll look in your room. Well, if he found it, I'd have to go there for it. It's only a few blocks. You stay here, Lottie, while I go... Oh, and... you you don't have to leave the lady here, kid. You're an old customer. I know you come back and pay. Well, thanks, Gus, but I can make better time alone. Hand him over, even that racket's the oh, blue sure, in there. Oh, sure, sure. Mmm. Oh, it's a fancy coat. <laughs> nice and bright with red stripes. You got a class, kid. Yeah, but right now I got no dough. I'll come back as soon as I can, Lottie. I hope you find your money. Yeah, I hope so, too. And how. Gee, Casey, it's nice of you and Miss Williams to have Thanksgiving dinner here in the Blue Note with me. We're nice people, Ethelbert. Well, the very best. True, warm-hearted, and generous to a fault. Pass the salt. Also oh, honest, kind, and steadfast. Here's the salt. And <laughs> pepper. You know, we're really understating our sterling qualities, Annie. We've risen to the heights of magnanimity, whatever that is, by 
chewing Thanksgiving turkey in this crummy joint we see every day simply because our little pal here had to work. We could only get away from his bartending long enough to grab a meal on the house. We hope you appreciate our sacrifice, Edelbert. Oh, I do. Good. Pardon my reach for the Tabasco. <laughs> to prove your gratitude, Ethelbert, you can pay for our dinners. Yeah, well... Uh, Tabasco, uh, any? Huh? Thanks. Hey, you've made a splendid suggestion, Casey. Paying our bill will relieve Ethelbert of a small part of his obligation Thank for you, our sir. company. Yep. Say, come to think of it, you two are working today yourselves. You didn't have time to get a full meal any further away from your office than this crummy joint. Ethelbert! You impugn our motives. He destroys my faith in human nature. Ah, yes. The spirit of the day is entirely lost upon this lug. Casey, if you'd pay me what you already owe this crummy joint, I'd be only too happy to buy your dinner. <coughs> Get it, Walter. This yeah. guy's too wise for us, Annie. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid so, Casey. Casey. Oh, yeah, Walter. You wanted the bar, Paul, and you said it Oh, nuts. I'm only just finished my turkey. No, this means no dessert, Casey. I'll see what Burke wants. Well, stall him off if you can. Yeah, I'll do my best, Annie. Hello, Grace. <laughs> Hello, Casey speaking. Uh, look, Burke, we haven't finished our dinner yet. Oh, all right, all right. Wait till I get my pencil in. Corner of Whitestone and Evans. Well, what happened there? But is that all? For a run-of-the-mill story like that, we got to leave our dessert and... Well, okay, Burke, all right, goodbye. Why I stick to this newspaper racket, I don't know. What was it, Casey? All the cri Look, we got to get out to Whitestone and Evans, Ann. Some mug just held up a filling station there and got away with a couple of hundred bucks. Or Did no. he shoot anyone? No, no. Huh? Just one of those inside page fillers. Burke says news is light and we got to cover it. All right, where is Whitestone and Evans? The way uptown, not far from uh, Petrakis Olympian Restaurant. You know, we've eaten there a couple of times. Yeah, I remember Hi, any description of the hold-up guy? Yeah. He wore a flashy blue overcoat with red stripes. See you later, pal. So long, Ethelbert. So long. Say, wait! Who's gonna pay for this... crummy joint? Our story will continue in just a moment. In mansion or cottage, in city or town... Thanksgiving Day is a time for family reunions, feasting, and fun. But through all the gaiety, there runs a deep note of real Thanksgiving for blessings past and present. There's a tacit recognition that a better-fed nation is a stronger, happier nation. And one of the ways in which the American way has made its greatest progress is in the production, preparation, and distribution of food. Now, take the matter of delivering food alone. The great organizations who process and ship us our better foods know that flavor, purity, and freshness are best preserved by clean, sanitary glass. And that's why, as you look around the shelves of your food stores, you see that so many famous brands are brought to you in gleaming, protective containers made of glass. Containers that preserve and safeguard flavor and taste while they permit you to see in advance exactly what you're buying. It's noteworthy that many of the leading brands of food of all kinds come to you in anchor glass containers sealed with tamper-proof anchor caps. Products of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. Now, here's what happened, Miss Williams. I'm working the station, see? 
I'm here in the office when this hold-up guy opens the door and says, give me your dough. He had a gun, of course. Oh, sure, he had a gun. The time was about a uh, quarter past seven. What did you notice and about he... the guy aside from his flashy overcoat? Well, uh, he wore his hat pulled down over his eyes and a, a handkerchief was tied around the lower part of his face. Also, he worked fast. What'd he do? Well, he told me to get into the gent's uh, restroom there and to keep quiet. He locked the door on me, and I heard him open up the money drawer there, and then I heard him leave the joint. I started pounding on the door, and after a while, I managed to bust out. That was uh, about uh, quarter to eight, and then I phoned the cop. You might have I shoot a picture of that busted door, Sergeant? Go ahead, Casey. Thanks. You want a picture of me, too, won't you, Mr. Casey? Huh? You? Oh, sure, yeah. The door and you. I'll shoot the door first. <laughs> Uh, it's going to give me old lady a big kick to see me written up on a paper. <laughs> hey, uh, was this big puddle of grease in front of this door, Jones, when the hold-up guy locked you in? Oh, yeah, yeah. I spilled it there earlier, and I, I didn't have time to clean it up. Now, the mug must have stepped in it, Casey. Along with the description of his flashy coat I've sent out, I included instructions to look for a guy with dirty grease stains on his shoes. Well, the two things together ought to nail him, sir. Yeah, I yeah. told the sergeant something else that ought to nail a guy. Well, what's that? Well, one of the bills he stole out of the money drawer was an old 20 that had been torn in two and kind of stuck together with scotch tape. I, I took it in just before the robbery, so I remember it. Well, looks like you cops have plenty to work on, Sarge. Yeah. Well, we got all there is, Annie. Let's blow out of here and get back to the blue note and get some... Plum pudding and coffee. Ha uh-huh, come on. Hey, 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 ain't you going to take my picture first? Uh, you, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll kind of stand here by the empty cash drawer huh, and uh, point my finger at it. Yeah, that'll be original. I'll stand at point, pal. Go ahead. Great. All set now. Shoot. Jones. Yeah, hey, hey, gosh, I'm getting my picture took. Don't walk in front of the camera. I have just heard what happened to you. About that guy in the blue overcoat which holds you up. Well, I'll tell you all about that later, Gus. As soon as I get my picture. No, no. I tell you and those cops about it now. You'll tell. Who are you? Oh, I, I am Gus Nicopopoulos. I am waiting in Petrakis Olympian restaurant three blocks from here. And I know who is the kid who robbed my good friend Jones. You know? Yeah, I know as soon as I am told the news about that fancy overcoat. What are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? I tell you cops everything. Even where to find this whole up kid. He tell me he is going with his girl to dance land. You got no right to pull me off that dance floor, copper. You don't believe this waiter, Sergeant. Joe hasn't held up anybody. We're going to see about that. Close the door, will you, Casey? Okay, Sarge. Now... This overcoat we got from the check room, it's yours, isn't it, Bowers? Yeah, that's my coat. And you, Jones, say the guy who stuck you up wore a coat just like it? It's the same coat, Sergeant. You're nuts. The store I bought this blanket had a couple of dozen just like it. Now, take it easy, kid. If your story's okay, we'll check on everyone who owns a coat like this. I'm going to search you. While I'm at it, you can tell us what you did after leaving Petraka's restaurant. After you couldn't find your wallet, I mean. I went straight to my room and house to look for my dough. Finally, I found it in the dresser drawer. Then I came straight back to Petrakis for Lottie. That's Miss Newcomb here. The dough's in that wallet you just took out of my pocket. It's about 40 bucks, and it's mine. I didn't steal it. Hey, is that torn 20 in the wallet, Sergeant? No, Jones. Torn 20? I guess he hasn't got a gun on him either, Sergeant. He's clean, Casey. So are his shoes. Grease would show up plain on those light tans. He may have changed shoes and hidden a few things. Yeah. How far is your rooming house from that filling station, kid? Oh, it's it's two blocks away down Evans Street. My father runs it. How long did Joe leave you in Petrakis' while he was finding his money? I, I didn't time it. It wasn't more than 15 minutes, maybe a half an hour. So what? 
So you had plenty of time to stick up Jones and go to your room before you came back to Petragas. All right, if that's the way you dope it, copper, search my room. I'm going to do that little thing, young fella. All of you. Let's go. Marty, why have you and Joe come home with all these people and these... Policeman. Everything's all right, Dad. They made a mistake about Joe, but it's going to be all right. A mistake about Joe? A big mistake, Mr. Newcomb. I don't understand. I'm Sergeant Healy, 5th Detective District. There was a stick-up a few blocks from here tonight, and uh, Joe Bowers here is under suspicion. A stick-up? Joe? He didn't do it, Dad. I know he didn't. You were with him, Lottie. You must know. Your daughter wasn't with him for a long half hour. Mr. Newcomb... I haven't taken time to get a search warrant, so I'd like your permission to go over Joe's room. Give him a go-ahead. I have. He'll find nothing to tie me up with any heist job. All right with you, sir? Oh, yes, sir. Of course. Thanks. Take me to your room, Bowers. Come on. Everybody else stay here with this uniformed officer. Miss Williams and I would like to go with you and Joe, Sarge. Okay, Casey. Oh, thanks, Sarge. My room's on the next floor. It's right up those stairs. Well, lead the way, kid. And don't try anything tricky. Why should I try anything? What you got on me is that a stick-up guy wore an overcoat like mine. And that's all you're going to get. There's the door of my room, copper. Open it. Make yourself at home. Give me your key. The door isn't locked. I never bother. Hmm. I'll turn on the lights. Now, do your stuff. I will. You won't find anything locked up here. Because I got nothing worth stealing. And nothing to hide. Now, if you were going to work on my cousin's room across the hall, you'd need a fistful of keys. He's one of those careful, secretive guys. You, you know? got a cousin living across the hall? Yeah, his name's Ferd, a Ferdinand. And is he a crumb? I think you don't like him. I like him about as much as he likes me, maybe more. But he's been making a play for my girl. He isn't getting anywhere. How you doing, copper? You see anything of the dough I'm supposed to have stolen or the gat you think I use in that stick-up? Not yet, kid. And you won't. I'm 100% in the clear. Oh, yeah? How did this get under your carpet? What? Casey. A torn $20 bill. Stuck together with scotch tape. I never saw that bill before. And I think Jones will identify it as the one taken from his cash drawer. Wait a minute. There's more dough under this rug, Sarge. A couple of hundred bucks at least. I spotted it, Casey. I don't know how it got there. I didn't pull that stick up. That's a comedy, Joe. This money nails this you. This is a frame-up. I tell you, it's a frame-up. Where'd frame you hide your gun? I never had a gun. I swear I didn't. I'm clean, kid. Where's the gun? Wait a minute. Will you give me a break? Let me think. Let me think a minute. Yeah. Yeah, there's just one mug will pull a thing like this. And if you're right, guys, you won't let him get away with it. Question Ferd, Sergeant. Question my cousin Ferd. His room's right across the hall. Might be a good idea, Sergeant. Okay. Let's go over. That's the room. Yes? I, um... I'd like to talk to you a minute. This is the police. Just a second, Starting to get ready for bed. I'm Detective Sergeant Healy, young man. This is Miss Williams and uh, Mr. Casey. How are you? Hello there. What do you want? Let me close this door. Your cousin Joe here has made some accusations against you that it's my duty to investigate. Oh, he has, has he? Do you own an overcoat like Joe's here? Blue with uh, red stripes? An overcoat like that? Or have you ever worn one? I wouldn't wear a zoot blanket like that if you paid me. You say? Yes, I say. Mind if I look around your room? Why? Bert, someone wearing an overcoat like Joe's held up the Whitestone filling station tonight and... What? You know where I bought this coat, Bert. I think you got one just like it on the QT. 
I think you slipped my wallet out of my pocket just before I left here with Lottie tonight, so I'd have to leave her and look for it. You were watching the rest, and when I left it, you went to that filling station. Why, you're crazy. Sergeant, you can't believe it. Maybe I don't. But I want to search your room. Oh, wait a minute. Huh? Have you got a search warrant? No. Then get out of here. Say. I know I write. Unlike a certain relative of mine, I've got a clean record. Who are you calling a lousy You, Joe. Why, I'll knock your teeth out. Cut it up. Cut it, both of you. So you don't want me to search your room, hey, young fella? You heard me before, Sergeant. Hey, pal, wait a minute. You're taking the wrong attitude. If you've got nothing to hide, this isn't the way to show it. He's got a good reason for saying you can't search, and I'm going to prove it. Keep out of that closet, Joe. Take me if you can. I'll make you... Hold it first. Let me go. Come on, there, Joe. I'll get a warrant. You won't need a warrant, Sarge. Look there. What? In the back of his closet, covered with other clothes. Oh. An overcoat like yours. Just like mine. And in his pocket, there's a gun. I never saw that coat before. I never saw that gun. Well, somebody did. Come on. I'm taking you both to headquarters. I don't know how that overcoat got in my closet, Sergeant. I swear I never saw it or that gun before. So you've been saying for it. Both of you get into this car. You did this to me, Joe. Sure, I got wise to your frame up, you louse. I threw it right back at you. We'll continue our discussion at the station house. Of course, you'll only hold me long enough to get my testimony. I'll be back home in an hour or so. Maybe. You and uh, Miss Williams tagging along after us, Casey? No, Sarge. Uh, I may give you a pause later, though. We still have our Thanksgiving dinner to finish. So why don't you two get jobs that won't make you work on holidays? <laughs> why don't you? You mean like Captain Logan? <laughs> I've been thinking about it for the last 25 years. Good night. Nice, Dr. Neely. Come on, let's get into our car, Casey. And get our stuff to the I'm paper I'm going back and... to that rooming house, Annie. Why? Are you convinced that Cousin Bird framed Cousin Joe? Well, his attempt to prevent a search of his room didn't look very good. Annie, I'm just thinking. Well, Joe found that overcoat with what might be called surprising ease. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe that Joe would invite his own arrest in order to frame his cousin... Why, one little slip. Framer, whoever he is, did make a slip, Annie. His plan didn't anticipate a grease puddle. And he had to get rid of a pair of shoes that may walk back and kick him. None of the shoes in Joe's room or in Bert's had any grease stains on them. No? Sergeant Healy hasn't forgotten those missing shoes, and he'll be back pretty soon to really look for them. Well, I'm going to start looking right now. I'll ring Newcomb's bell. Sometimes I wish your snooping instincts were more restrained, Casey. I'd like a cup of coffee now and... Hi, Mr. Newcomb. Mr. Casey. Yes, may we come in? Of course, but I... We didn't go with Sergeant Healy and his prisoners. I wanted to ask, how's your daughter now? She wasn't taking this thing very well when we left. Oh, she feels terrible about it. Miss Williams, perhaps a woman can talk to her better than I can. Will you try to convince her that... That everything will come out all right. I'll gladly try, Mr. Newcomb. She's in our private living room. Go on in and talk to her alone, Annie. I'll stay here. All right. It it breaks my heart to see my girl crying, Mr. Casey. She's all I have. She blames herself for what has happened. It isn't her fault that two young fools became so infatuated with her. I knew they hated each other, but I never anticipated anything like this. No. Guess not. Of course, you had some reason for coming back here, Mr. Casey. Yes, I came back to ask your permission. Yes? 
Uh, I want permission to ask a few personal questions between ourselves and off the record. Very well. You haven't wanted Joe for a son-in-law, have you? In my place, would you? The boy has served a reformatory sentence that, according to my observation, has failed to steady him or improve his sense of values. Mm. Ferd has been Joe's opposite, I imagine. He always seems so. Lottie strikes me as a pretty sensible girl, Mr. Newcomb. Unless one of those fellows confesses he framed the other, or it can be definitely proven, she'll doubt both of them too much to marry either one of them. Yes, I think that's so. And as there will be no confession or definite proof, things should work out exactly as you planned. As I planned? You're the guy behind this double frame-up. Oh, Mr. Casey. You didn't think I'd be back, did you? You shouldn't have changed back into those comfortable old shoes after Sergeant Healy left here. You did a lousy job of cleaning off that grease. Oh, but you held up that filling station and framed both the boys to keep your daughter from marrying either one of them. It was very foolish, wasn't I? Yes, I think so. Shall I call Sergeant Healy? All right. You can call Sergeant Healy, Mr. Casey. I'm... Ready to confess? Uh, wait a minute. Wait. Let me take a close look at those shoes. What? The pool of grease in that filling station you heard us talk about wasn't deep enough to reach far above the soles of a shoe. Hey. You greased those shoes yourself. You spread it on so thick it covers the toes and heels. I didn't spread it on. Pal, you're a beautiful liar. And I'm a beautiful dope. You greased those shoes and put them on, knowing the cops had come back and spot them. You were willing to take the rap. Because your kid is in love with one of those punks. You can't prove that. Nobody can. And when I confess, that's all that's needed. You forget. The police lab will compare the grease on these shoes with a filling station grease, and it won't be the same. And then Sergeant Healy will go right back to work on Joe and Ferd. The police laboratory can tell? Yes, definitely, Mr. Newcomb. But if it couldn't, don't you think your confession would be much harder for your daughter to take than the loss of a little rat she thinks she cares for? Well, I... I couldn't bear to see her cry anymore. All I could think of to do was what I tried. You see, I know the guilty boy, Mr. Casey, and she's loved Joe ever since they were children. No, Joe... I found his grease-stained shoes hidden in the cellar tonight. His taste in shoes is like his taste in overcoats, so I could make no mistake. Huh. Well, let's get him. Take him to the cops. Later, Mr. Newcomb, your daughter's going to realize that the lowdown she'll get on Joe tonight is a cause for real Thanksgiving. We'll join the crowd of the Blue Note in just a moment. This is Harry Marble to remind you how important the new Anchor Glass one-way no-deposit bottle is to your enjoyment of ale and beer. It's a custom-made container made just for you. No one has used it before and no one ever will use it again. When you're through with it, you dispose of it as you would any other food container. There's no deposit, no fuss or bother. And the new Anchor Glass one-way bottle assures you of sparkling ale and beer without cloudiness and with no foreign flavor or aroma. Beer that's truly brewery bright. Most of the brewers of New England and those who ship ale and beer into New England have adopted this bottle for your protection and added convenience. For the Anchor Glass one-way bottle not only costs the brewer less than any other type of single-trip container, but it also gives you much more for your money. 
So here's a good rule. When buying ale and beer, always demand a glass bottle. And for extra convenience, demand your favorite brand in the new Anchor Glass one-way no-deposit bottle. A product of Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. So, the shoes fit Joe and he had to wear them, huh, Casey? Mm. They pinched so tight he cracked wide open, Ethelbert. He admitted planting a duplicate of his coat in Ferd's closet, everything. If his scheme had worked, Lottie would never have spoke to Ferd again and she'd have married Joe. Well, that was Joe's idea, Ethelbert, but it worked out in reverse. Lottie sank into Ferd's manly arms when she heard the lowdown and she seemed very comfortable. Gee, what some guys will do for love. As my sister Edna says, quote, if love didn't make the world go round, there wouldn't be so much dizziness. Unquote. Or so much niceness. Yeah. A grand guy. Lottie's old man. Hey, Annie, what's the matter with her? We got plum pudding and coffee still coming to us. How about it, Ethelbert, huh? Oh, it's about time. <laughs> Well, what's so funny? <laughs> there isn't any more. <laughs> Crime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth as Casey, is brought to you each Thursday by the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation, makers of Fire King Oven Glass. Anchor Glass Containers, Anchor Caps and Closures. All products of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. is directed by John Deets. The original music is by Archie Blyer, and the program features Miss Jan Minor as Anne and John Gibson as Ethelbert. Herman Chittison is the Blue Note pianist. If civilization is to survive, we must reaffirm our religious faith. It's up to each of us. Do your part by supporting and attending your church or synagogue. This is Tony Marvin saying goodnight for the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, with offices in all principal cities of the United States and Canada. This is CBS for Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, I hope you enjoy these, and I hope everyone has a fun Thanksgiving if you're here in the States, and if you're not, happy November uh, 23rd. No matter whether you celebrate the holiday or not, Lydia and I are truly, truly thankful for all our listeners, group members, and YouTube subscribers. A huge thank you to all of you from both of us.